we're back. Another episode of Talking Maiden. The podcast of the beast. How you doing, Nesbitt? Good. Excited to get into Beast Over Hammersmith. Beast Over Hammersmith. Fantastic. I'm looking forward to it as well. Another uh, live album. We haven't done too many. No, we haven't. Uh, I'm glad we're getting a chance to do this one. Yeah. I always wanted to do Beast Over Hammersmith. I know. From an album from way back when we were but <laughs> little children. I know. I was in grade two when this came out. Or not when it came out, when it was recorded. Wow. Uh, we'll get into all that. Yeah, I know. I was I was like, uh, I was still on my mother's teat. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, no, it's, it's amazing that, you know, it's been reissued. And, you know, it feels new. And, of course, it was reissued previously. And, you know, it's it's kind of hilarious when you look at it. You know, we I, I always feel like an old old fellow nowadays, you know, at least ha- halfway through my life. And then you look back, I'm like, they're so young in this. But even then, you know, I was a little child. It's an interesting perspective on time. Yeah, 82 was a while ago, man. Speaking of which, since we're legal age, maybe we should have one of these alcoholic beverages. Yeah, so uh, you brought these beers. Uh, it's a pretty cool can. It's got a pretty cool name. Why don't you uh, describe it? Yeah, well, I, I went for pale ales and hoppy beers when I went out and picked up our load for these recent recording sessions. But this one's the Brap Pale Ale, and I was drawn to it because it has really cool art, um, and it's got the skidoos all over it, and it's from Cornerbrook, which is where my brother has moved to now, out across on the west coast of the island. I think our last beer was from there. Yeah, so this is the Brap Pale Ale, and they spell Brap with three A's and an exclamation point. Brap. Yeah, I think it's something to do with like brap, 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 going with a, a snowmobile. Yep, it's the yeah, sound of yeah. a skidoo or a snowmobile. Do not spend your time worrying about those wasted beers. Ah, there we go. Fortunately, we don't have, well, not fortunately, unfortunately, maybe, we don't have taps in our own house because if we did, we'd have to digitally add the sound. Imagine someone was like listening to our episodes going, wait oh, now, man. wait now. And then broke it down like CSI and we're like, that's a recording of an opening of the beer. These guys, these guys are teetotalers. Uh, this is a really good beer. I like this. This is fantastic. This is awesome. So enough beer talk. Beast over Hammersmith. What do you think? Should we get into it? The only thing I really want to reflect on before we dig into it, you know, I want to hear from you the context on, on when it was written, when it was recreated, but... This re-release gatefold, like, this is awesome. Yeah, I think they did a really good job on this one, the packaging and everything. I love this graphic of uh, Eddie planting a Union Jack into the planet. Yes. I've seen this graphic, you know, forever. But to see it as a a vinyl album cover, big and glossy like this, it really, really works. Yeah, this is awesome. And uh, the version I got from you, you gave me this, I think, for my birthday, did you? Yep. Was this for my birthday you gave me this? This is fantastic, yeah. Yeah. I really appreciate it. I love the way they're doing the live albums now. So, like, it's, you know, they should just release one for every tour. (laughs) Yeah, well, one day Maiden will, you know, hang it up and they'll be done. And I'm hoping that they just dig in the archives and start releasing live stuff. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) The opportunity (laughs) to just release, like, for every, almost every tour. They've got a lot of them covered now. A little bit of custom art, a few few little venue shots, the tour list, like in this one, like it was really cool when you pull out like all the where where they went for the whole uh, for the whole uh, tour. It's just amazing. You look back and you're just like, oh, imagine being in the room, you know, back in the early '80s, oh, all yeah, through I Europe. Know. I mean, they were already global at this stage. Yeah, 1982. So UK, Europe, they've been in Japan. So. So March 20th, 1982 is this concert at the Hammersmith Odeon, London. 
So February 12th, you know, a month before Run to the Hills is released as the first single with Total Eclipse as the B-side. February 25th of 1982, so about two weeks, you know, after, uh, after the single, approximately, is the first date of the tour for Beast on the Road. So this is the Beast on the Road tour. So this show, the 20th of March, 1982, is the 20th date of the tour, of the Beast on the Road tour. And they record it, they record video of it for a VHS release. Uh, but apparently because of the lighting issues, they scrapped it. Yeah, that's what he, he, he explains that in the message to Ari, right? That's where he breaks all that down. Oh, yeah, like the liner notes of the vinyl. Yeah. yeah. Now, some of it was on that 12 Wasted Years VHS tape, but the early days DVD they released, I know that was completely remastered, but I mean, if you look at the footage, I don't think it's that bad. I mean, I know they cleaned it up a lot, but, yeah. you know, I think it's pretty good footage. I mean, the content of the video is amazing, and the audio is great. The early days version is incomplete. It doesn't have all the songs, but I mean, I'm not complaining about the quality of the video, especially after it's been like remastered for that DVD. But uh, anyway, the audio of this show is what we're talking about mostly today, and it's amazing. And uh, this is two days before uh, the album Number of the Beast is released. And Bruce actually mentions that on stage right before they go into Children of the Damned. We've got a new album coming out on March the 22nd in a couple of days' time. Which, um, despite all problems with sort of a devilry and 666 that you might have read about, is actually going to come out more or less on time. Yeah. there's. It's interesting, because in the message in the inside, now he's reflecting back, you know, uh, Harris, but there's there's a lot going on around this right you know obviously this is their first tour now with with bruce in charge and leading the band they're trying to rush it out he admits in the inside there that uh you know they wanted total eclipse on the album but they needed a b-side and he's rectifying that now they record a concert but he doesn't like it because even though it's good now looking back he says you know at the time he wanted to be more amazing they got a lot going on like i remember when you did the early years like my takeaway from that was like 75 to 79 was just a jumble of people they were finding their way you know then they kind of bust on the scene um you know they have a, a few amazing live performances we broke down the bbc one and obviously the made in japan they go through two studio albums now they got a new singer and they got this tour on this scale. Like, it's just such, to me, it's just mind-blowing. I mean, how old are they? Like, Harris is, like, early 20s. Yeah, mid It's so much going on. It's so crazy. Yeah, you think they're about still it. young guys, right? Mid-20s. Yeah. Yeah, and that's another thing with the timeline of this is Bruce Dickinson. So when you think about it, Bruce is still new at this point, right? So, you know, he's not, you always talk about, you know, people talk about this show and they say, like, oh, this is peak Bruce Dickinson. And I'm like, well... He's still, you know, a pretty new in the band. Like, so September 10th, 1981 is Paul Diano's last show in Copenhagen. October 26th, 1981 is Bruce's first show in Italy. Um, so Bruce had been in Maiden, you know, four or five months when this album was recorded. So he plays those six, he plays six shows in Italy to finish off the Killers tour uh, after Paul leaves. Um, and that's it. And then he plays, I think he plays one date at the Rainbow Theater in London. And then the secret unannounced show, December 23rd at the Ruskin Arms. So that's all the shows Bruce plays before this tour. Um, uh, the funny thing, that secret unannounced show at the Ruskin Arms, um, episode 92 of this podcast, we really 
dug into that. Uh, that's the first time they played Hallowed Be Thy Name at the sound wow. check. And the first time they played live Prisoner and Run to the Hills. And we played a bunch of clips of that. Uh, yeah. Episode 92, if people want to go back and check that out. But uh, basically, you know, Bruce played eight shows with Maiden before this tour. Uh, and then on this tour, this is the 20th date and the last date of the UK leg. So Bruce joins, plays 27 shows before this, and this is his 28th show with Maiden. Um, and I just put that into context because I think people tend to think that Beast Over Hammersmith is uh, peak Bruce in Maiden. You know what I mean? And I mean, I think I have said in, before that like, this is peak Bruce, but really he's very much like the new singer in the band at this point. And I think that's part of the sound of this album is, you know, it's the energy of a new lead singer. You know, it's kind of a novelty of having a new lead singer. And that hasn't worn off and it gives them a crazy energy. Um, But any of the kind of weirdness or awkwardness of having a new lead singer is completely gone. Like the band is completely gelled to perfection, but they still have this excitement of having a new lead singer. Yeah. You know, just think about it. They have a new singer. They have a new album about to come out. Um, they know this album is a, you know, a masterpiece and a giant step forward. They must have like all the confidence in the world. Imagine you're Iron Maiden playing to an audience of your fans and you know that you have like this number of the beast album in your back pocket about to be dropped in two days. Yeah. Well, that, that's, that's kind of the, the, but that's the, that's the dichotomy or the dynamic that I find that's in this is that on the one hand, you know, as we get into it, there's points where, you know, like Harris must have just looked over and saw Bruce going to me and like, you know, we got a Ferrari now. Like we're you like listen to that. Right? <laughs> yeah. But then there's also the secondary piece, which is like they're just still early. They got you know, they had the last singer that didn't work out. Bruce is objectively, you know, and he's not an unknown quantity to them. They they known him from the scene for a long time and you know, the way Harris is uh, he 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 had very much probably had him in it. He he wouldn't you know he he had him in his sights for a while you know, um, but there's also the recording in London. The album's coming up. The pressure is very much on. So it's not a moment where they're sitting there going, "Oh, we made it." Like uh, you can just tell. Like uh, I can see, uh, you know, I wouldn't say there there's stressy moments in there, but it's that you can when you when you especially when you watch it, it's just like. Bruce really wants this to work. Like it's still, there's that they're not forcing it. It's not impacting their quality, but I'm just in their heads. I'm just like, they're so young and they want it. Then I also turn around and I think like, yeah, they've only been together for four or five months, but the, Bruce is like, what's 22, something like that, right? Like 21, 22, 23, something four. in that space. Five, six months at that age is like an eternity. Yeah, that's true. Right. That's totally By the true. time you're five months into university, everybody's your best friend ever, and you've known them. You can't even can't even remember the names of the people you went to high school with. That kind of thing, right? <laughs> so part of me is like five months together. Imagine twenty eight shows. Yeah, I never that's put it intense, into that. Uh, right? Like how many musicians yeah, yeah. get to twenty eight live shows of that scale? Even like you know, so. I, I, I go back and forth on it. I'm just like, this must have been just like a whirlwind of a year for them. Just like running on adrenaline, you know? Yeah, anyway. and it comes through in the show. I mean, I'm sure it must be very, like, exciting. I mean, you can you can kind of tell how they front load the set list with, you know, a, a bunch of these new tracks from the new album. That they must be, like, very proud of, you know, the direction they're going in and, you know, their new... They'll just show off this new level of songwriting that they're at. Because, I mean, now with Bruce, I mean, it really opens up what they can do as far as, like, where they can go in songs and melodies and stuff. 
Yeah, there's no comparison. Like we walk, we walk that line, and you know we try not to say much about Diano, you know, too negatively. But let's be honest. I mean, this is such a step up. Yeah. Like I, I you know, I'm gonna make that point as we go through it. I mean, I don't want to knock him and and all that stuff, but I mean, he was, you know, in a, in it. I mean, Steve Harris. It didn't. It wasn't just the behavioral stuff, right? Like it wasn't just that. I mean, you listen to this and just the range that he has at this stage, and he still. You know, it's not even shaped for him yet. I mean, we're just leading into the golden era. Like, just think about the next four albums. Yeah. Right? Like, I mean, it's so great. But I mean, it's amazing. I think Paul was the perfect singer for Maiden at the time. Yeah, which was but small scale. <laughs> well, Yeah, well, I think that, like, as they kind of developed, they kind of, like, grew uh, beyond what Paul Diano could do. And having Bruce, it just opened uh, up possibilities. And I think Steve Harris saw that. You know, he knew that Paul couldn't take him take maiden to where he wanted the band to go and i think they're on this tour and on this album i don't know you know I, it shows this is very much their yeah. first step on you know what they would become i, I keep the paul diano thing at an arm's length because i don't want to go into it because i know a lot of people who listen to our podcast like him but Including there's me, a lot a lot about him and his personality that just really grades me yeah the I type of guy that. he is he was in the pub going oh man they're gonna totally fail they suck like he's just got that personality where he's just like even you know even when he's kicked out of this band and then they go to the next level he's still too good for them uh anyway that's you know i don't want to beat that that horse too much but like objectively this is a massive improvement yeah well you can tell when they play the number of the beast songs on this set list that it's kind of on a whole nother level to me um and towards the end of the set list, when they play a lot of these songs from Iron Maiden and Killers, which I absolutely love, love these songs. Yeah. But it's almost like Bruce has more ability than these songs are written for. And maybe Paul, kind of his voice, maybe fit and suited them a little bit better. I definitely know what you're saying. I also find that the one or two times where I find that when Bruce specifically plays some killer stuff, there's a few various vocal inflection where he's trying to add something into the song and it just doesn't land right. Yeah. Because yeah. it's like, it's so grumble and rumbling. Now there are some songs from that era where I think Bruce sings them better. Yeah. Uh, we'll get into that eventually. We will. We will. There's one in my mind where uh, I want I can't wait to talk about, it, but I'm, I'm with you there. I, you know, and I'm not trying to trying to create a controversy, but I, <laughs> but I am, I am saying like, you know, part of me looks at this and I'm just like, I just look at the whole context of it all. And, and, you, we're still not there yet, you know. Nico's not there yet. Then the next album, and of course, obviously Yannick. But um, to me, like it, this is the moment at which Harris is like, "I got it now." That's you know, like they yeah. got this world tour. Like I could just, and that's the way I imagine it, not based on any inside ball. And you know, I don't, I don't, uh, I haven't read his diaries like you have. But, uh, you know, this is, they're a long ways from spare rib at this point, right? Like, they now, he's got it figured out, and uh, he's just got it, like, there has to be moments where Bruce is just looking across and like, yeah, this is, my, my dream is, my dream is going to be realized now. This guy, Bruce, he, he can carry this. Yeah, that, but also, there is a lot of weird dynamics at this point in the band, because apparently a few days before, I think four days before this, they filmed the Number of the Beast music video. And apparently there was a big fight, and Rod Smallwood had to separate them. You know, there's a lot of uh, weird dynamics and like fighting for front of the stage, and you know, like who's the front man and who's the, you know what I mean? Like you get this new guy in the band, and they're both very strong personalities. So there were some clashes there. It wasn't as smooth as everyone kind of thinks. 
Yeah, I can see, I can imagine that, you know, like, I mean, that's been always in the background. They've managed to find a way, you know, Bruce kind of, I think, has been humbled as various stages. But, you know, one thing when I say, you know, about Bruce's ability and how to take it to the next level, the biggest thing that drives Maiden, from my perspective, I mean, is just like ultimately the reason that Bruce is there and the reason that he can do it, it's it's all Harris's ambition. Like how ambitious oh, yeah, totally. he is, right? Like he looked at it like he's the only guy who can pull together like the world tour. And like talent, this is one of the big things I've learned in the startup community over the last while. Like talent is is awesome. But talent without execution, talent without vision is zero, right? It's nothing. All you are you become wasted. Like if you, you could have Bruce's voice and be just like you know, you could be at any range of music, and the only way that he's got to the level he's got to is because he wrote the like the level of ambition that he has at this age. Harris does to have all that stuff lined up and everything going. Replace the singer, take that risk. World tour coming up, record it. Like it's insane. I know. I think about like moving house, and I'm like, ah, oh, I got to deal with all that. You know, it's like this guy. Like imagine the let me. He's like 22. It's it's really impressive. I got to say, the more the more over time. Every year, I'm more and more impressed with Harris. Yeah, a lot of uh, burning ambition for a 25, 26-year-old. How awesome they are, absolutely. So, something we didn't mention is, so this show happens, 1982. 20 years later, Iron Maiden releases this. And I know this is an audio uh, an audio podcast, so this isn't even the best content to like show you this. Well, but uh, wait now, wait now, Nesbitt, Nesbitt, I'll, I'll, you can, I'll, uh, uh, you can I'll, I'll do, I'll do the, I'll go. <gasps> wow, he's opened the lid. He's opened the lid. <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh. This is Eddie's archive. So it's a metal box. Yeah. You can see inside there's a shot, shot glass, glass there. Yep. And a scroll. I know you love scrolls. I love scrolls. And this is the CD of. Beast over Hammersmith. Fantastic. So there's this CD, and then there's BBC Archives and Best of the B-Sides. So it's a pretty cool collection. And, I mean, the boxes, the packaging is pretty cool. He's put away the box. Nesbeth has put away the box for everyone out there. <laughs> yeah, that was great narration. So finally released on CD November 4th, 2002, this uh, concert. Yeah, they never would have. You never would have predicted eh? it would have come out on on CD twenty years and then vinyl twenty years. No one would have called that one. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if anyone was like at this concert at the Hammersmith, and they're like, I can't wait for this to come out on vinyl. And then like twenty years later, they're like, Oh, it came out in this uh, limited edition box set yes. on CD finally. And then like twenty years later, forty years after the concert, they're like, That concert <laughs> or is that? I can finally, yeah. finally, it's on vinyl. Like I always want it. It sounds just like I remember. So. Anyway, let's get into Maiden and Hammersmith. So this is Maiden at the Hammersmith Odeon. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. And Maiden has a history with Hammersmith. Uh, now, there's a club called the Swan in Hammersmith that was pretty important for Maiden in Maiden's history. Um, do you remember that show we talked about uh, where Paul Diano got arrested before the show for having a switchblade? Yes. Or uh, maybe it was just a knife. I think maybe in my brain I turned it into a switchblade and Maiden had to go on as a three piece with Steve Harris, Doug Murray and Doug or Dave Murray and Doug Sampson. And Steve had to sing vocals. Uh, yeah, we covered and played a clip from that show in the early days episodes, which is like episode 78, 80, 81, 82, 83 of this podcast. If you want to get into like that era of Maiden, but, uh, that was the swan also in Hammersmith. Um, this, 
the venue we're talking about here is the Hammersmith Odeon, which is still there. Still there. It had a few name changes over the years. It was the Hammersmith Apollo. It's currently called the Evan Evan Tim Apollo, I think. Um, the Beatles played there 38 times. Um, anyone out there who's a Bowie fan, I'm a pretty big David Bowie fan. Uh, Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars concert, the motion picture, was filmed there. Um, and Thin Lizzy's live album, Live and Dangerous, was filmed there. Um, a big chunk of it, anyway, was recorded there. Uh, I'm not sure exactly how much of that album, but part of it was, anyway. So uh, the Hammersmith, yeah, has a, has a big history with rock and roll. As far as Maiden and this venue, so they played... In 1980, they played two nights, March 14th and March 15th, opening for Judas Priest. And then a year later, March 15th, 1981, uh, on the Killers Tour, they played. And opening for them was Trust. And Trust is a band who you might realize uh, Nico McBrain was the drummer at this time. And I think this is how Nico and uh, Maiden got to be friends, was on this Killers Tour when Trust was opening for Maiden. So a year after that, in 82 is the Beast on the Road tour, and that's this show that we are uh, talking about today, the uh, Beast over Hammersmith. So for this show, that the album that we're listening to right now, the opening band on this show was called The Rods, and that was the band of Ronnie James Dio's cousin, so Ronnie's cousin's band. Um, and this is what they sound like. They're actually pretty cool. That's the rods. Uh, I think it's pretty cool. It's pretty awesome. It's a little generic oh, sounding awesome. you know, of the time, but I mean, it's, it's pretty solid. There's, there's a brilliant Weird Al version of that, uh, <laughs> which I won't get into here. I'll let I'll let you you use your imagination. Uh, the next year, the World Peace Tour, 1983, they played a four night run at uh, the Hammersmith Odeon, May 25th, 26th, 27th, and 28th. So four nights in a row. With Grand Prix opening, and Grand Prix had two future members of Uriah Heep in the band. Um, then you go to the World Slavery Tour. They did a four-night run there uh, with opening for them on that tour was Wasted, which is former UFO bassist Pete Way's band. And you know uh, Steve Harris is like a huge UFO fan. Um, also, if, if you listen to episode 64 of this podcast where we talked about live after death we broke down where all the songs were recorded and side four of the live after death was recorded at these shows uh 86 somewhere on tour they did a six night run opening for them was paul samson's empire so that's paul samson from samson and you know samson is a band that clive burr and bruce dickinson were both in at you know certain points then you're on to 1988, so the seventh tour of a seventh tour, and they played three shows there. 
with the Killer Dwarfs were opening, which is a band from Toronto, I think, or just outside of Toronto. I can't remember. Nice. Yeah. And uh, then 1990, No Prayer on the Road, they played an opening for them at the Hammersmith Odeon was Wolfsbane, which we know is Blaze Bailey's original band. Um, after that, they played in 2005, they did a benefit for the Clive Burr MS Fund. So that's uh, Maiden's history with uh, Hammersmith. So I think it's just interesting. They played the Hammersmith so many times and opening for them. And, and a lot of them, a lot of these were like trust, which had Nico in it. Um, you know, Paul Sampson, you know, Sampson has a tie into Maiden. Wolfsbane, Spain, Wolf Spain has a tie in for Maiden and they recorded, you know, some of the live after death extra tracks at this uh, venue. So this venue in Maiden, it seems like there's a lot of tie-ins, even if they're kind of, uh, you know, tangential I guess. Yeah. You know, you know how like everyone's like, if you had a time machine, would you know what would you do? Would you would you go back and buy like you know Apple stock or like shoot baby Hitler? You know all this stupid stuff. <laughs> like I'd literally go back to this concert and I'd be like, I just go up to Baron like nudge someone to be like, hey, I bet that guy Nico joins the band, and they'd be like, what? I'd be like, you watch. You watch. <laughs> and then I'd be like, remember my name. And then just like that would be it. And I'd come back and you'd be like, did you invest in Microsoft? I'd be like, who needs that? <laughs> I just planted a seed that is awesome. Like that would be the fun part would just to go back there and watch them all like hang out. And we'd just be there like geeking out. And yeah, be like back to the Curtain Horses 1979, 80. You know what I mean? Catch Iron oh, Maiden. Totally. Although the, the problem is we'd be like, they'd be like, what are you old blokes doing down at this pub? We're like, just watching you guys. You guys are like gods to us. You know, you're 22. Can I have your shirt? You know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously though. Like, I mean, imagine just going back there and seeing it. Yeah. It's weird. Like, at one point, Iron Maiden so cool. was just a, a bar the, or a band that just played in, pub, in a pub all the time. Although imagine you go in and you're watching it back in 78 and they suck. Yeah, you go back to 78 and you're like, oh no, Dennis Wilcock, we went back too far. <laughs> we'd, be no. like, we'd be like, damn it, we wasted our one... <laughs> we, 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 we wasted our one time jump. And then we'd be like, we could have saw our parents one last time. And like, yeah, fuck it, let's get drunk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's weird. I'm sure there's a lot of people that went to the Curtain Horses and just the band that just happened to be there in the background was Iron Maiden. That would be. So let's actually get into the tracks of this album. We've been talking for a long time. I do want to get into the tracks, yeah. I am Blaze Bailey. You're listening to Talking Maiden, the podcast of the beast. Possibly the best podcast in the world. So track number one, Murders in the Room Morgue. So they start off with a Diano era track, you know, something off Killers, I guess. They they pick an opener that they think the uh, yeah, you know the the audience. This is where know. it is a good opener, although like then they go into Wrathchild, I would have flipped it, but yeah, you know, I'm not going to criticize the list, but like you said, they start off and they're kind of showcasing a little bit of bruise. I kind of feel the opposite. I feel like they left a lot of the weight. Uh, for the middle of the show and the back end of the show. But that that makes sense too, right? Like you got to warm them up. But yeah. Yeah, I think this is an amazing choice for an opener. Uh, yeah, it's cool. And the song starts and in the video, I just, I'm not going to talk about the video the whole time, but in the video they show some scenes of like people coming into the venue 
oh. lining up in the lobby and like buying merch and stuff. And there's just so much denim. It's awesome. Yeah. Like, man. So that intro, the first part of the song, that whole first part of the song is a recording that they're playing. Um, the part with the bass harmonics and everything. So even back then in that era of Maiden, they're, you know, they're doing, they're coming out, they're playing a recording and then jumping in live on stage. So in case you don't know what I'm talking about, I took the, <laughs> this is a typical Nesbitt thing. I took the Murders in the Room Org from this live album. I took this, the version from the album and I laid them on top of each other and I panned back and forth between the two versions. And you can hear that it's a totally the album version that they're playing over the loudspeakers. Everything you hear up until that drum roll comes in with Clive Burr on the, that drum roll, everything before that is a That's, recording. You're serious? Because I was just, I just pulled it up here, and uh, you know, as you were playing that, I'm like, "That's amazing!" I didn't realize that. I, I guess where I saw everyone there, I was just part of me was like, "Why aren't they in the venue?" When I watched it, I was like, "You know, it's get in there, boys, like it's starting, right?" But like, uh, you know, and then it showed the band. I was like, "What was that?" I figured it was all live. That's awesome. But they do that same thing with, uh, you know, today with Aces High. Like that whole intro guitar yes, part obviously, is a yeah. recording they play. And until the guys run out, that's when the live music starts. So, you know, Aces High starts with a recording. And if you go way back, they used to do the same thing with Ides of March. I mean, I have some bootlegs from like Wakefield Unity Hall in 1980. And they clearly have a recorded version of Ides of March that they played before they came out. So kind of a thing it is it also like the way that they lead you in with you know now they're now their music before they even start their own stuff is that they get everyone there and get everyone pumped which is important you know because the last thing you want is like if you're uh doing you know no one wants a two-thirds full arena and then them trickling in by the third song especially when you're made in now this doesn't apply to this but you know later tours where you're showcasing new stuff but yeah no, I agree. I had no idea. That's a great catch. But yeah, I think starting with a killer's track is the way to go. You know, the audience has never heard Number of the Beast before. So you want to warm them up with something familiar, you know? And it's just a balls out killer track to, uh, you know, kick your concert off with. I mean, the energy that these guys have when they're playing, like...
that's the thing about listening to these like live albums is you hear these awesome versions of these songs and it's like murders in the room or morgue is a song i love the song but it's like i never think of the song it's kind of like if i had to throw out 10 15 20 of my favorite maiden songs this one would never pop into my head but now that i hear it it should totally pop in my head it's amazing what did you just say like you literally like when I put this in my, I feel that I feel that way about half the songs of this album. Like that is the problem with Iron Maiden is there's too much good stuff. Like it's like in a good way. Like you're not gonna fill a, a mixtape with best Iron Maiden. It's it's like 14 tapes, right? Like that's the problem. So like when I'm listening through this, like there's a track we're gonna talk about later. When I was listening, to it, I was like, what an absolute banger. This wouldn't be in the top 50 if I picked it. And I'm like, this song is sick. And like that is common. Like it's so common. And this this just what I love about this, what I love about this is like the later you go on in Maiden, two things happen. You got a bigger and bigger uh, volume of work to draw from for tours, and you get those common songs that appear, which are great, right? They're the they're the benchmark songs, you know. Uh, we go through them all: Hallowed, The Trooper, Where Eagles Dare, you know, all the various ones that they pick up over time. Later on, you know, the Wasted Years, then on, on we get into Bent, Blood Brothers, all those. Throughout the age of Fear of the Dark, you know, we picked them all up. And then by the end, like when we were doing our set list last episode, you got like nine or 12 tracks where you know three of them are going to be in there. This is early on. They got like two albums to pick from, plus the new stuff. It's And, and even then, you're like, this is jam-packed. And like you think about it in a way, like it's sometimes you think about the new signs that are being added. You think about what you're losing. Anyway, get nostalgic. There's some great stuff. I agree with you completely. It's a banger, awesome opening track. Yeah, and having too many songs is, you know, it's a good, uh, too many good songs is a good problem to have, I think, if you're a band, you know. And yeah, as the tours go on and you, you know, as the years progress, and you release more and more songs, you know, your your catalog to pick from gets bigger and bigger and it must get harder to put your set list together when you have such options, you know. Yeah. Actually, I was just talking to Jarvis of Night Demon and they're putting their set list together and they're starting to get into that now where they have a bunch of albums and that compilation out and now this new album that just came out and uh now they're having trouble like weeding it down into a solid set list because they have so many options to choose from so it's a cool good problem to have i think if you're a band so track number two wrath child yes so you were saying earlier you thought this would have been a better opener well obviously i love wrath child at the start of an album not quite the start but you know i love uh wrath child and uh, you know it does really better to me i love this version as well and it's okay there i'm not gonna i'm not gonna die on that hill yeah so two killers tracks you know something familiar to open up the concert uh your fans are there in the front row they want to hear stuff they know you know kick off the concert with some some classics so dave murray's playing on this is amazing it's i love it's a right amount of like staying true to the album version but also like improvising and those big bends he does and he's playing so fluid i love it pretty awesome and i i think too this is the first point in the concert where bruce really wants to show what he's capable of as the new lead singer
think he kind of throws that note in there and he's kind of like, you're not dealing with Paldiano anymore. No, I'd agree with that. But I mean, Wrathchild to me embodies the killer sound. It really does, right? That rumbling, rolling, like that it's darker. And, you know, I don't know. I love it. Like they, they never really went back to that type of sound. And and in a way, you know, for him to start off these two tracks is basically, you know, and, and, and Harris addressed it in the in the little letter in the in the gatefold in the vinyl. Um, you know, there wasn't that whole that, you know, they were, he was worried about a little bit of bite back from fans, but there was no internet back then and everyone seemed receptive and a few people said stuff. Um, but this is kind of a statement, isn't it? It's a statement. It's yeah. like, if you can, if you can do Wrathchild, like, yeah, Bruce is kind of putting a stamp on it. Although, you know what? I'll be honest. I love Paul Diano the way he does the song too. So, I mean, check this out. This is from, uh, Wrathchild from Made in Japan. Just to go off on a bit of a tangent. And this is Paul Diano. Like, Paul has this feeling in his voice that it's something that, like, Bruce will never have, which is, like, it's just his personality coming through. You know what I mean? And you can argue all you want that Bruce is a better singer, but, you know, there's no replacement for Paul Diano's personality that comes shining through sometimes. Yeah. If I was to sum this up, that early Maiden sound, I'd say, like, to to really rock these early ones, you'd want to be hacking darts and just, like, you know, like... Honestly, like, it's the kind of thing, like, you know, like, Lemmy from Motorhead would, like, crush it, right? You know what I mean? Like, that really raspy rumbling. It's not a vocal. It, it, to me, Ratchild's all about the, the pace. It's It feels like, I don't know, it feels like a rumble to me. It's just, like, it feels like a fight. It's just, like, it's not about what, what you know, Number of the Beast became. It's not, not about, a, it's not, you know, you don't need some... Uh, symphony. You don't need someone who's just essentially having a large vocal range. To me, it's just gruff. It's rough. And it feels like just that, you know, it's that early Maiden, you know, street corner yeah. kind know, of feel. I don't know. That, that's how I visualize yeah, it. Yeah. If you look at Paul Diano's like personality and his vibe and the energy he gives off compared to Bruce Dickinson, I mean, who would you rather not run into in a dark alleyway? Uh, Paul Diano. Yes, but only because... Yeah, you might get yeah. stabbed. <laughs> no, 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 because I want to run into Bruce because Bruce is awesome and Paul Diano sucks. <laughs> I don't know about that. But, like, Paul no. Diano, what I'm saying is Paul Diano has this, like, gutter punk uh. kind of persona. And these songs, like Wrathchild, are about that, and his personality and his delivery fits it perfectly. Like, one I guy is the badass metal guy with the high range, and the other guy is the gruff kind of street punk this this is this is one of those alleys now where I wish I was like uh, digging back through early stuff because like you're absolutely right that Paul Diano has an image at this stage of being tougher. But remember his whole like California LA songs that he did after. Yeah, yeah, know, remember that you you brought those up. I know, but you can't like, look at Paul Diano today in a wheelchair and be like, oh, he sucks. He can't sing. No, you gotta. No, I'm talking about the stuff apples, he did. Apples, you know, eighty-one Maiden to nineteen eighty-two Maiden. What what was it the stuff that he did that that all that come on <laughs> I know what you're you know? talking about you're talking I mean, about uh, uh, that Diano album and Flaming Heart <laughs> yeah <laughs> I like some of that solo stuff Battles I digress anyway next track we finally get something from the new upcoming yes. Number of the Beast album Run to the Hills and the band just sounds so tight on this and you know yeah Clive Burr on this on this well on this whole album but especially on this the Tom fills and stuff Clive Burr and the whole band on this just sounds perfect. It feels different in the sense that 
what's the one thing we say about Run to the Hills, right? It's like overplayed. It's the Maiden song people refer to. We've heard it to death. When I listen to this one, I'm like, oh, it's the first time they played it. They're all excited. Bruce is in. It's new. You know, Burr's in there. And it's like, it, it feels different. So I'd agree. I, I, and I love yep, it. Same here. And uh, Bruce. I mean, listen to Bruce's voice on this one. Best version, better than Live After Death? I don't Maybe. Know. I'd say so. Probably. Maybe. Well, I mean, you know, they, they've got it down after this, but there's just something so unique about it the first time they play it. Well, first tour or whatever. And um, I don't know. I, I like it because Run to the Hills is, is, has become such a, you know, a, a decisive, you know, not de- decisive, sorry, a divisive thing for Maiden fans in the sense of, it, you know, it can be that kind of bit overplayed, that this puts it into context where it's unique. I like it. I gotta say, I really enjoy it. Yeah, but there's a reason that Run to the Hills is overplayed, and it's because it kicks ass, and it's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's a reason that certain songs are overplayed, and you get sick of them because they're so good that people want to hear them all the time, and you they get overplayed. Like, a- absolutely. Yeah, I, I mean, I know what you mean. I know what you're getting at. But, like, if, if you're going to pick your top ten Maiden songs, are you going to put Run to the Hills into it? Probably not, but you know what? We probably should. You know, I want to pick like Still Life and Passchendaele. And uh, although that's probably a bad example because that would be a top 10 maybe. You know what I mean though? Like I'm always picking my favorite tracks and I'm like, oh, I love uh, The Talisman and Face in the Sand. Those are my favorites because, you know, we're like maiden, we're trying to be maiden, hardcore maiden fans and show off. But like, (laughs) I don't, I guess you should put like Hallowed Trooper, Run to the Hills in your top 10 because they are three of the best songs even though it might not be cool as a maiden fan to pick something that's not obscure or b-side or not a b-side but like a deep cut know what i mean i don't disagree i mean you know you know what's that show family feud steve harvey like i could just imagine you up there you're next to the buzzer and they're like uh name the the top the the best maiden iron maiden song you like you know talisman and they're like, eh. you know, it's like, you know, it's like run to the hills. Ding, 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 ding. 35, right? Trooper. Boom, boom, boom. 50. You know, and, you, well, yeah, I, and you know, you're right, right? <laughs> like, why well, hate it? Because it works, example. right? It's like, you know, but then, I mean, we're on a podcast where we're talking about Iron Maiden, which is an obscure band, and we drink craft beer. Like, we haven't done Budweiser <laughs> yet. So, like, you know, that's what I'm going to push back on. <laughs> so you're saying we're elitists in all areas of our lives. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Look, but this is Run to the Hills. This is, you know, look, it's an uh, one of the all-time best versions of it. No question. Top three best versions of this live ever. And then they followed up with another new song from the new album, Children of the Damned. So it's 1982. You go to this concert. You hear two of your favorite tracks from Killers. And then you hear two tracks you've never heard before. And one of them is Children of the Damned. Like, get a load of Bruce on this one.
So even more than run run to the hills, like even more so, I think this is Bruce really showing what he can do. And I mean, the rest of the band is just on fire. They sound hungry. much energy like comes through like the guys sound it's so aggressive sounding like they they're attacking the audience with their with their guitar solos you know what i mean yeah and there's a small little detail here that uh really stuck out to me i thought was cool it's a little harmonic part that adrian plays i watched the video to see who plays it and it's adrian it's a cool little guitar part i don't know why that stuck out to me so much because you're nesbitt <laughs> yeah, so you're at the show. You see Murders in the Rue Morgue, Wrathchild, two classics. Then they hit you with Run to the Hills, Children of the Damned, and then Number of the Beast. Three new songs that you've probably never heard before because they're off the album that hasn't been released yet. It's it's crazy. It's a pretty intense start. And, you know, like literally the album hasn't been released, right? So no one could have known this yet anyway, right? Or is it, it wait, wait, no. The album was being released like a day or two after. Yeah, the album two was days released that month. Yeah, two days yeah. after. So, other than essentially just the the ones that were released on the single, that's there's everything is new. Yeah, that's a really good point. So, if you did get the Run to the Hills single, you would yeah. know Run to the Hills right. and Twilight Zone, or no, uh, yeah, Total Eclipse. Run to the Hills and Total Eclipse. Yeah, that's it. So, yeah, you're right. Uh, people would have known Run to the Hills by this point, perhaps. If they'd uh, you know listen to that signal, but absolutely, it's 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 pretty ambitious to have a have a concert and like because you know when we get through, you look back on it, they played the better part of the album. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, right. yeah, they totally, totally uh, yeah. So it's 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 not like they dropped in two or three new tracks. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> man, it's awesome. One thing that I popped into my head was. He sings in this, I'm coming back, I will return, and I'll possess your body, and I'll make you burn. Yeah. And it wouldn't be till much later that he would say, like, I'll yeah. possess your body, and I'll make, insert city name, burn. burn. Like he would have said, yeah, yeah. I'll make Hammersmith burn, if he was playing there today, probably. So I got to thinking, like, when did he start doing this? And I started listening to bootlegs, and I listened to a bunch of bootlegs from 82, and he didn't do it. And then I started listening to a couple from uh, the World Peace Tour, 83, some bootlegs, and he w- he didn't do it in there, but uh, I don't know. I gave up. Now I wasn't checking every bootleg. I was just picking one here and there just to to see. Uh, but you know, by the time Live After Death comes, he's uh, saying I'll make California burn. So somewhere in there he started doing this, but I couldn't quite pinpoint when he first started doing it. I'll possess your body and make venue name burn. <laughs> I'll, make ven- I'll, I'll make venue name burn. He's like, we'll add that. We'll add that in post production. You're you're in that. You're like, we're in venue name. We're in venue name right now. We're. <laughs> Bruce looks down and yeah. has, like the name of the city yeah. written on his hand. He's like Milwaukee. Yeah, <laughs> Milwaukee. Yeah. Oh man. But yeah, this is. I realized too. This is like one of their best songs too. Like we were talking about earlier about the hits. There's a reason that they're hits. This is just amazing. 
And then this next song is one that we just, out of the blue, earlier this week texted each other when we were listening to this song because we forgot how amazing it was. Another Life. Amazing. I, You know, it's just, it, like, you forget about how, and this is, again, that Wrathchild, that, that concept, that rambling early days of Maiden. It's just like, it just it just starts off and just starts going crazy. It goes right to the end. I love it. It's, like, it's one of these where I'm, like, listening to it. It's so poppy. It's so fast. It just... Why don't I listen to this more? I know. I forget all about this song. And then you hear it on here and you're like, oh, this is so great. And uh, so Bruce, great. it's weird. Bruce yes. talks at the beginning and his, his accent is so different here. Yeah. Bruce is like, and from the Killers album and everyone cheers because they love that album. Yeah. I know. They're like, yeah, I know that album. It's the, it's the last album. Um, my, my favorite part is at the beginning. Just, well, it starts off a little slow and then it just kicks in. And they just start doing the fucking go crazy. song live is so much better than the album yeah like, i love it on the album but i really really love it live you know the way i feel about that is just like one of those moments where you're just like you know you're like oh my wife is great i love my wife my wife's awesome but then you have that memory you're like oh back in the beginning she was a freak <laughs> you know it's like it's one of those <laughs> moments where you're like oh man that's fucking awesome and just like yeah ding. maiden would never sound like this ever again. i know you it's like a modern day maiden would never write anything remotely close to what the uh, song sounds totally like. and you know what when you're when you're teeing up there at the beginning and the guy's like uh you know from killers like remember yeah. we did the early years there was a couple old dudes in the pub they're like yeah after 79 maiden went downhill remember those guys they were like they were like ah then they got bit it was garbage after that and they're like every stage of maiden there's been a group of fans who were just like no more i remember my friend who was like remember my friend i brought him up a bunch of times he bailed when they released power slave yeah, he was a like, big maiden fan like and then they put a power slave and he's like you lost me and he, he never listened to them again after that yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I get not liking Power Slave. I like, I love Power Slave, but I like, I get like not thinking it's the best album of all time. But imagine bailing on the band because of Power Slave. <laughs> I know it's crazy. It's so funny. But then some like people are like killers are like, oh god, this, oh that Children of the Damned, horrible, horrible. Who is this guy with his long hair up there singing? This guy, they're going nowhere. There's a guy who walked outside through his takedown. We're like, they're ruined. It's over. That's <laughs> so, so hilarious. I know it's weird to think about, but there was people that were like that. That were like, no, Diano, I'm out. <laughs> anyway, next track up is Killers. Probably the best live version of Killers on any Maiden album. I mean, you've got Live at the Rainbow with Paul Diano. It's really good, but not as energetic. Made in Japan is... Made in Japan, maybe. is I don't know. Made in England, 88, is not as good. Uh, BBC Archives is one from Reading, 1980, which is... I mean, there's a few guitar flubs in there. It's not as strong as this version. You had me until you mentioned Made in Japan. Made in Japan you think is Made in Japan is better than this and one? It's so contextual. I... I mean, I haven't listened to them side by side in so long. Now I'm going for memory. And obviously it's it's Diano. And, you know, and in some ways I think Killers is one of the few tracks. After having ripped him previously in this very episode, I would argue that it's one of the tracks that he's best at. I mean, you might be right. I'll have to listen to Made in Japan immediately after this mm. and compare them both. So, a Made in Japan is so good. 
Have we covered yeah, it? It's really great. We've covered it on the podcast. I've talked about it. 100 yeah, episode fifty-one. We yes, did. and I it's my what's it's my favorite live album. I don't know why. I just because I have it. Because remember we scored that awesome. I I bought a we were at a, a a fair I think one time and I found it and I was like oh man it was in great condition. I brought it home to listen to it. I was like man, oh yeah a awesome. record fair yeah. yeah you found that original copy in really good condition yeah so yeah we could argue this all day but I mean this is a really good version and Bruce really does a good job on this one. He does. Like, listen to how he delivers some of these lines. That proves, that clip proves two things. That clip proves two things. Bruce is a creative genius, and the Made in Japan version is better. I love Bruce. Like, no one's going to get on here and be like, Josh, give Bruce a break. <laughs> Man, yeah, we all know how much you love Bruce Ringson. That's very clear to everybody. <laughs> anyway, this is another example of a song where the intensity of the guitar solos is, like, mind-blowing to me. amazing to me um also at the end of the song bruce kind of references uh adrian smith and says he's like well i'll just play the clip this is a song which uh gentleman over there adrian smith who's at the moment suffering from a few sore ribs at the moment he's all trussed up tonight like a chicken so i looked everywhere i looked in all my books on maiden i read you know old fan club magazines um, I could not figure out what happened to Adrian or what the exact injury is. I guess he had some sore ribs. Um, but you I didn't call find... the hospitals? <laughs> see if you could dig into the records? Oh, I totally should have. <laughs> yeah. This is Dr. Nesbitt. So that leads us up to 22 Acacia Avenue. Yes. Which is a great song, but I now, think it's the weakest from the new album. Ooh, but it's still great. You think this is the weakest from the new album? The weakest song from the album that they play in this set list. I would argue... Itself. And I know that Children of the Damned and Number of the Beast have been played, but they are new. And obviously this is new as well. I would argue that this is the moment. For me, this is the moment. I just love Bruce's vocals in this. I just absolutely love them. There's just something about, you know, it's just so good. Please tell me you have a good clip from this. It is a great song. I'm not arguing that. I'm just saying, and I'm not saying it's the worst song on Number of the Beast because it's better than Invaders and Gangland. Although, I really like Invaders, but anyway, 
I, I'm just saying this is out of the ones that they play live on this album. This is the weakest of the uh, well, I just I, I honestly feel like this is the point in the concert where Bruce has hit his stride. Like uh, I don't know why it is. I just love the vocal performance in this in this in this uh, song. I love the lady who comes on stage. Yeah, <laughs> that know? lady had a name, Charlotte. The Charlotte, Charlotte the, Harlot. the Harlot. Yeah, my wife came in. She's like, "Who's that girl?" I was like, "That's the Harlot." And then uh, I was like, "She comes out, a, you know, dancing around." It's like the, so eighties. Yeah, yeah. I love She's, it. Exactly. I I love that aspect of it. But you know what? Also, every time because of the whole, you know. Charlotte the Harlot and the whole, you know, you, you going back and graphing out how much it was worth and all that stuff. I always think of this song as a bit campy, you know? Oh, yeah, it totally and, is. Right? Yeah. But when you listen to it, you're like, this is a rock and metal tune. Like, it's a really yeah, it good is song. Really and, like, his vocal performance stands out for me. I just absolutely love oh, yeah, it. Oh, yeah, yeah. He sounds awesome. It's true. Yeah, put me down as a Charlotte fan. Now, I'm not sure who this Charlotte is. Not the same Charlotte uh, that was Suzette Colaga from the Buffalo, New York, 1983 show where uh, all that stuff happened with Bruce, which we won't get into here. Oh, yes, yes, you were talking about impropriety. Yeah, we talked about it in the Number of the Beast episode. If you want to go back and listen to the details, set a load of court. Anyway, uh, next up is Total Eclipse. So over the years and in a bunch of interviews, you've heard Steve Harris say that he always wanted Total Eclipse to be on the album instead of Gangland. And whenever you're listening to, like, the official Maiden version of things, you're never 100% sure if it's, like, rewriting history, if it's true. But this is kind of, like, you know, documented evidence, you know, of, like, that they actually did want Total Eclipse to be on the, the album. Because this is two days before the album comes out. Bruce Dickinson's in front of an audience, and he says, This is on the B-side of our current single. It started off life on the new album, but unfortunately we didn't have room for it. So we had to put it on the B-side, so it's not really a B-side at all. So that kind of proves that Steve Harris was, well, you know, that it was it's actually the truth that he wanted Total Eclipse to be on the album the whole yes. time. Yes, yes, in place of Gangland. Yeah, I, I got a few opinions on this one. Like, you know, and he explains it in the in the Gayfold. Uh, it's really, I find it's really heavy. Like it's it's it kind of feels different. It feels like yeah, it's it, not so much sounds heavy. It has a heavy mood to it. it feels totally, heavy. and it feels like it's different from where they were moving. I absolutely love the bass line in this, but the rest of the song, I'm like, I don't get why they would jam this back in the. It's not as solid as they seem to make it out to me. I mean, I don't, I don't consider it. Oh yeah, yeah. I don't think it adds a ton to the album not not to be too hard on it I, I like it just feels a little different it's like to be honest with you it feels like something that would have come before number of the beast it's not really a killer song but it's like it's it's kind of a little at a step for me and i think they think that's might have been why they kept it off yeah that's a really good um, point it is a whole interesting thing how you know he explains how they rushed through it and they chucked it and they needed a b-side and all this stuff and they did for some reason they didn't just use a cover or any of the stuff that they had left over from the first two albums it's interesting, but it, like to me, it's it's not the missing link in Number of the Beast. I don't know. Yeah, but it's better than Gangland, I think. Yeah, it is, but... I know what you mean, though, because when we did our yeah. episodes on Number of the Beast, on the album, I yeah. came to the conclusion that I like Gangland over Total Eclipse yeah. on the album because, you know, you're coming from, like, The Prisoner, 22 Acacia Avenue, Number of the Beast, Run to the Hills, and then you hit Gangland, and then you're into Hallowed. Yeah. And 
you know, the number of the beasts run to the hills. Gangland keeps the momentum up and the energy up until you're, boom, you're into Hallowed. And I think it would be weird flow on the album if, or that's a conclusion I came to at the time of, you know, slowing it down kind of for this song, which is kind of weird, and then going into Hallowed. But I don't know. Yeah, it's it it's it's good though that they that they did mention the time and they're not revising history too much because the the re-released album like now I have two different number of the beast finals that have different different song mix on the back end of it which is interesting but to me I'm an album listener not a song listener so like you know when a when a track ends I know the next track when it's not as jarring that's why like shuffle or like any inconsistency in a digital playlist just creates anxiety in me because I'm just used to like as the silence that follows a track is the lead up to the next track for me. It's always just that way. Yeah, I know yeah. exactly what you mean. You expect a certain song to come on, yeah. Yeah, so, but but now I've played, I have this vinyl here. I've played this Number of the Beast vinyl only once on that. I've been listening to the Hammersmith two discs, you know, looping them around. I haven't listened to the front one just once. And um, it, so it hasn't, it, you know, it never really caught me. But I don't know, I, I kind of feel like it's a, it's a cool thing to reissue. I, I I'm okay with it because they reissued it with the Hammersmith, and then the context is there, and it makes sense. And to me, this is really this tribe vinyl is is a Hammersmith vinyl with the number of the beasts modified on it. Yeah, I agree with you. Like the, the beast over Hammersmith was the draw for this whole package. Yeah, I think we're both in agreement on that. Anyway, next track, Transylvania, which comes off really well live. And I think is Iron Maiden's best instrumental. So what's it? Lost for Words on Power Slave. And there's, what are the Genghis other Genghis Khan, Lost for Words, Transylvania, yeah. Ides of there March. There you go. Ides of March, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so if you were to say in that set of four, take your pick. <laughs> you know, it's like, that's not gonna, that's why I'm like, I'm not so excited by this. Like when you say, you literally said to me the other day, you were like, what would you do if you had like a full guitar instrument yeah, on no. this new tour? I'm yeah. like, you know, yeah, what no, I do. it's I, an intermission, right? It's like it'd be cool, but like Transylvania feels like that for me. It's like yeah, but that was when we were talking about walking on glass from the Somewhere in Time tour. Yes, and uh, you know that's kind of like a slow, yeah. moody guitar solo, which is cool. And I was wondering if that would kill the momentum of a concert. This live version of Transylvania is not yeah. killing any momentum of any yeah, concert. And the, but maybe the reflection on that is is like why is that? Because I find like the early albums, I don't listen to them in entirety as much as I should. I've been. I don't know why. Maybe in the last couple of years, I listen to more of the modern discs, but also I listen to a lot of live and, and compilations. So, you know, I contradict myself when I say, you know, I, I'm, I'm used to album flow. But like, in reality, I mean, how often do I listen to Killers? Every now and then I fire on the vinyl. Not as much as I'd like. How often do I listen to Iron Maiden? You know, a couple times a year? Like, not, not enough, right? Like, really, we're neglecting these early albums. Yeah, we should be listening to those first two albums a lot more. Yeah. And I actually listened to that first album a lot more than Killers. I don't know why. Yeah. So next track is The Prisoner. Great intro. Yeah. Another track off the soon-to-be-released album at the time. I love the intro. This would be a great intro to a concert, too, just because the, the the spoken word part. You know, it's like... Yeah, and this is another one that they could never pull off with Paul Diano, right? This is yeah. another level of Maiden. Yeah, and they're, and they're back into the new stuff. It's amazing. It's like... I, I definitely uh, I love this version. I love the uh, I love the intro so much. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a free man. That's like it's so good. One thing that stuck out to me on this is Adrian Smith's harmonies on here. That sounds so great. Now you see me, now you 
yeah, and then they come out of that into another song that no one in the audience had ever heard before, which is hard to believe, but Hallowed Be Thy Name. Yeah. And this is a pretty damn perfect version of the song. How do they, how do you, if you're there, how do you process that? I mean, you're, you're talking about 12, 14 minutes of new stuff. Yeah. It's a big right? chunk like those of two songs. awesome new and music. Like, That's for sure. Hollywood could, could feel like two or three songs if you're just hearing it for the first time. But I like objectively, like I would, I mean, I have to say objectively, like I think it's the best Maiden song. I wouldn't say it's my favorite Maiden song, but if you're going to say like the best Maiden song, it has to be Hollywood. Like it's just it's so good. Hollywood be that even so perfect. Yeah, I find it's like whiskey. You know, sometimes like there's whiskeys and you drink it and you're like, oh wow, that's okay. And there's another time you drink a whiskey and you're like, I could, you know, stick my head in a barrel. It's like the mood you're in. If yeah. you're in the mood for that song, if it like the bell, oh my God, it's just like, it can go amazing. Yeah, it's great. And it's truly like an epic song. And they follow that up with what I think is probably their first ever epic, Phantom of the Opera. Yeah. And then they're out of that into Iron Maiden and that's the that's the main set done. Then you're into the encore with Sanctuary and I'm not a huge Sanctuary fan. I like it. But it's definitely one of the four or five songs I'd say that Deanna does better. Yeah, I, yeah, I could see that. I agree, I think. Yeah. And then you're into Drifter. And I really, really like Drifter. Um, it's funny, we got an email not very long ago from our friend Chris Fox in Australia. And apparently we did an album closers episode where we ranked our favorite album closers by Iron Maiden. Uh, I have no memory of doing that episode. <laughs> but uh, our buddy Chris Fox said that... Uh, Drifter is his all-time favorite album closer by Iron Maiden, even more than Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner or Hallowed Be Thy Name. Yeah, so. but Foxy's just always been such a killer's... Uh... Yeah, he loves killers. It's his favorite album, so... Yeah. But uh, I think I could do without a nine-and-a-half-minute version of Drifter. Yeah, so it's like nine minutes for him. It could have been... It should have been 22. He's <laughs> yeah. gonna tur- he's, he's like gonna me with tur- the talisman. Talisman, Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> anyway then they finish off with running free yeah and a really great version of prowler and that's it that's the end of the show yeah yeah absolutely and uh, you know the la- the last you know they- they've covered off the new album pretty early in the set list um geez they play the bulk of the album to be honest yeah well if you include total eclipse they played run of the hills children of the dam number of the beast total yeah. eclipse the prisoner and hallowed be thy name they played it all didn't they except invaders right and gangland yeah yeah well, Gangland, obviously, is the one that they swapped out. But, yeah, so they uh, – it's amazing. Yeah, it, it, and, it, wow, to see that all live for the first time, I mean, it's amazing. Yeah, it's an amazing show, and it's funny because I always talk about, like, peak Bruce and peak Maiden era – or peak Bruce era Maiden, and uh, it's not really – it's it, like, Bruce is, like, the new guy in the band at this point. He's still, you know, he's still kind of settling in, and this is their first – the first leg, the end of the first leg of the first tour with the new lead singer. So uh, I think that's part of what makes this album so great. And the energy in it is you can hear this optimism and this like this band that's just ready to launch themselves into, you know, the stratosphere. Yeah, totally. Totally. I agree. They're, they're at a new level. Like I think on this album, you're hearing a band that is just poised to, you know, start to take over the world. They're just about to just about to start doing it. But what, what really strikes me about this is the timelines. Like, like what really hit me about this is we broke into it because, you know, Beast Over Hammersmith, to me, was always, you know, 
like until I really got the final and dug into it, I was like, okay, it's Number of the Beast tour. I hadn't really thought too much about it. I knew Hammersmith was in London. I knew they released it. Like for some reason in my mind, I thought they had released it in the eighties and the nineties. I wasn't exactly sure. I kind of, you know, I was like, I, I hadn't really cemented it till I got the like the vinyl kind of made it more real for me personally. And now I'm digging into it, and I'm like, wow, it's like, it's such a transitionary point for them, you know, with 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 Bruce coming in. But also, it's like what also hit me as I'm going through, like, just going through the set list. I'm like, there's so much of that in there now, like the early early stuff, like Number of the Beast, Hello Be That Eam. That and Iron Man, that they're still carrying on the current tours, you know, not not enough as we pointed out. This is like I'm forty three. This is, I was like, an a infant toddler. Yeah, yeah. And the same band is still crushing those on tour now. Yeah, it's timeless. And that's like really what hits me. It's like how good they are now. You know, it's like how much number of the beast now. You know, Hallowed Be Thy Name, the last tour. Compare them. How different is it for 40-something years? Yeah, well, that's the thing, man. They're timeless, and it's very rare. I mean, I think as Maiden fans, we should all appreciate that we have a band that managed to stick together and uh, put out awesome music for almost 50 years. It's crazy. So Beast over Hammersmith, two thumbs up from us. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I love it, man, and, you know, when you brought me this album, I was so pumped because I was like, "Yeah, I'm gonna get, pick that up soon." I was, I was just like, we were in between, and you, you showed up with it. And I think you pre-ordered it, didn't you? Yep, yep. Yeah, that was awesome. Well, Nesbit, I know we went a little long, so I won't belabor the point. Fantastic work today, for everyone out there. Up the irons. 